If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. All right, this is going to be a good one. Because my friends Josh and Trevor are here to talk about night fishing for trout and the mouse emerger concept. Thanks for tuning in. And I just want to say thank you so much to all the listeners and subscribers out there. Your kind words, reviews, donations, and support have really given this Trout Bitten podcast series a strong start. So, sincere thanks to everyone out there. I'm Dominic Swintoski, owner of Trout Bitten and author of TroutBitten.com. Since 2014, I've published over 700 articles on the website with stories, commentary, uh, tips, and tactics. The website has grown into a huge resource for fly fishers. And... About 40 of those articles are on night fishing for trout. In fact, the first article I ever published on Trout Bitten, titled One of These Days, is about night fishing. I love the night game, because everything I do in the dark is backwards from what I do in the daylight. I love it because so often, I don't know what the hell I'm doing out there, because there are always more questions than solutions. Night fishing is a mystery with no resolution. Almost every other aspect of trout fishing, of fly fishing, has been written about, understood, and fleshed out. The meat has been put on those bones. I mean, you can learn everything you'd possibly like to know about fishing dry flies over rising trout. There's more information than you could ever digest about nymph fishing, streamer fishing, wet fly fishing. Uh, Lifetimes of information are available at your fingertips. The lives of so many fishermen who've come before you. You can read the accounts of their discoveries, their failures, their new ideas and understandings. You may not agree with one author's approach to casting over trout that are sipping spinners, but you can go find a half dozen different methods without looking too hard. All of this information is available because the experience is there and it's documented. But the night fishing game? It's like a bare cupboard. There are very, very, very few people who've spent much time on the water at night. And there are even fewer anglers who've written or shared information about it, uh, about their fishing experiences after dark. So go ahead, look around. Uh, You'll find a handful of articles. You'll find a few chapters in trout fishing books, often written as an add-on or an afterthought. I know of only one book that's dedicated in full to night fishing for trout on a fly rod, and that's Jim Bashline's work, The Final Frontier, which is a great book title for the subject. And because there are so few practitioners of the night game, so few anglers willing and able to put in the hours and search for those answers, we find the same beliefs repeated time after time. The same advice. The same wives' tales rerun again and again, because they sound like they should make sense. 
these days, almost everything we run into about night fishing is focused on mousing. And my God, when it works, there is nothing more exhilarating than the biggest wild brown trout of the season smacking your mouse fly with a vengeance. That big sound breaks the stillness. That feeling of raw power jerks the line tight in your hands, and it is electric. There's no other feeling like it in fishing. It's all the anticipation of casting and working and casting the flies for hours at a time. Patiently. Methodically. It's the wonder, the not knowing if or when anything will happen. It's the blindness to where your fly really is. The unseen. And all the blanks that your mind fills in on every cast all night long. Always with hope. Always with belief in the fish of a lifetime. And then that big trout eats. And that's why we do it. And I will say there is nothing like that topwater eat at night. Absolutely nothing like it. If that doesn't get the adrenaline pumping through your body until your hands are shaking afterward, then you might as well just stay home, go to bed on time, and have an easier tomorrow. So the truth is, uh, night fishing is tough. It's the hardest thing I've ever done with a fishing rod. And I've been after it pretty steady now for a decade or more. I've fished topwater and I've fished sculpins on the bottom. I've fished wets in the middle, crawled buggers over rocks, and nymphed with everything in my box at one time or another. And it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Meaning, really, that consistency at night, for me, is still largely unattainable. Maybe it's not possible. But I like to think it is. And just like fishing in the daylight, I'm not going to stop until I've explored every tactic, fished every corner, and tested every theory. And all of that, though, uh, the streamers, the wets, the nymphs fished five different ways. It takes a lot of time on the water to feel like you're getting anywhere with it. I mean, the whole thing, once again, is just hard after dark. So simplifying it down to mousing is a great way to start. And it, and it makes sense that most anglers who do a few night fishing trips these days uh, fish the mouse. It's exciting. It's pretty straightforward. And the takes are absolutely heart-stopping. What's not to love? Well, here's my answer to that. All too often, trout simply will not eat topwater at night. There are plenty of reasons, and we'll get to that later. But on so many nights, a mouse fly or another topwater pattern is ignored. Other nights, you might have 30 blow-ups on a mouse and only a few hookups, and one of those is foul-hooked. Uh... Just like big streamers, at times, trout aren't looking to eat the mouse. They just bump it to see what it is, or they're trying to kill it before actually eating it. All of that, all the slashes and hits, can be exciting for a while. And then it becomes nothing but frustrating. And you're left standing there in the darkness, wondering how the hell to get a trout to eat your fly. So after years, and I do mean years, of that kind of failure, I found an answer. No, it's not foolproof, of course, but there was a fly and a handful of tactics that turned the hookup ratio around for me. I started landing far more trout by fishing what I've come to think of as a mousy merger. And that is what we want to talk about tonight. So let me introduce to you the only two night fishing friends I've ever had, uh, Josh Darling and Trevor Smith. Honestly, uh, these are my only fishing buddies who've ever put in the time after hours and have really fallen in love with it. And I'll say, if you don't fall in love with night fishing, you're not going back out there very much. Uh, night fishing either crawls up and gets inside you, or it doesn't. Uh, say hello, Josh. Hey, guys. Hey, buddy. Hey, Josh. All right, Josh Darling, I have a question for you. Um, Boy. Yeah. Tell us about carrying a long sword at night. <laughs> yeah, this is a good story. So this Go is, ahead. So Trevor and I were night fishing together. We were relocating from one section of the stream to another. It was pretty late. We were hiking past where we had parked to get to a yeah. different spot. And uh real close to where we had parked was a a cop car. Yeah. And he was just sitting there kind of inconspicuous and uh no lights on or anything. And as we approached he he slowly opened his door, stepped out of the car, and and we're like, "This is we're like, oh, this no, is not this good. It's not like, going well." 
It's the <laughs> it's like one in the morning. It was later than that, probably. It was what probably two in the morning at that point. Yeah. And uh and and he he was he was real, he was really pretty chill. He was like, What are you guys doing? We're like, we're just fishing. He goes, Oh, thank God. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he says, No kidding. He says, I thought you guys were walking up on me carrying long swords. <laughs> <laughs> referring to the waiting staffs the waiting staffs not, yeah, the, not the fly not rods, the rods yeah. Yeah, but he said it like it had happened to him before exactly <laughs> right, that's the scary part. and that's kind Local of the joke cop. we made right it's yeah, kind of yeah. joke we made and we're like man what kind of what kind of stuff happens around here that you see you know <laughs> yeah, uh it's good so so we had a, a brief conversation with him he was he was kind he let us get back to fishing and uh we we kept on walking and I said, man, if we, you know, if we happen to get into a real big fish tonight that, yeah. that gets the honor of being named, which is two feet or more, yep. then we ought to, we ought to come up with a name based on, on that. And so I said, we got to call him Excalibur or something. <laughs> Lo and behold, uh, 45 minutes later, it was, I remember it was, it was about two fifty in the morning and, uh, and we hooked into a real good fish. Uh, I think Trevor, you came up and helped me land him. Mm-hmm. It was a good fish, yeah. real strong fish, and uh, and he was he was about twenty five inches. You know, he got the name Excalibur. Yeah, that's actually how how the the fly, the Pendragon, came about as well. Because uh, Arthur yeah. Pendragon pulled Excalibur out of the stone. <laughs> oh, I love that's it. Right. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about Pendragon. In. Yeah, in a little bit. I'm sure we'll talk about that fly because it's awesome. I, what is it? Maybe the tenth, twelfth cast on the Pendragon. I landed a whiskey, which you know, Love trout fitting group of whiskey That's is a, uh, yeah. twenty or over. And um, yeah, the I had a well twice. I've had a cop shine their lights on me. It just just a, they walked up, you know, maybe fifty yards from where I was fishing. The guy did, and he just shines the light on me. He just keeps it on me for a while, and he goes. Are you fishing? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, all right. You know, like, I've never seen that before. Yeah. Uh, it is strange, I'm sure. Um, if you're out there, you know, two, three, four o'clock in the morning sometimes, and you're a yeah. police officer, you yeah. are, you know, you're looking, you, yeah, you're that's expecting. A thing to see. Yeah. You're expecting different things than guys out there fishing. Yeah. All right. So, hey, uh, Trevor Smith right here. Say hi, Trevor. Hey, how we doing? Good, bud. Hey, Good. uh, all right, so Josh wanted Josh wanted me to ask you, why do you think you haven't caught a night namer yet? <laughs> <laughs> Just throw him under the bus. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez, you don't, you don't have to th- answer think, that. Well, see, that's a question I've asked myself a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I, the best I can come up with all when I night fish, I predominantly fish with Josh. Yeah, and Josh predominantly <laughs> catches the night namers. And so yeah. the yeah. common factor here is, is Josh. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm working on a way to blame him for it. Oh, um, there's lots of ways. I'm there's sure. Lots of there's ways. plenty. Yeah. So, you know, interesting, and this will tie back into night fishing at some point in the future, but we've been thinking about this at the end of this past night fishing season is how much impact it may make being the second guy to fish a particular yeah section and you and i don don we were reading in a in a resource lately just a theory about yep. that you know a disrupted that a disrupted fish returning mm-hmm. to a feeding lie might have a little more aggression or might yeah. have a little that more, was uh that yeah. was matt supinski's book yeah uh, nexus yeah. trout nexus right. book mm-hmm. yeah Good which stuff. i liked because it was kind of a a new look at some things some some new information mm-hmm. which was cool and but yeah, so, that's, that, also, <laughs> I, I'm just terrible at fishing. So that's what it, cause you're using the same flies, kind of the same, same tactics, yeah. tactics, hitting the same water. Yeah. But no, no night neighbor. No night neighbors. No night neighbors. I know. <laughs> I will say. It's terrible. Yeah. I will say Trevor has a, a, a daytime neighbor and I don't have that yet. Yeah. Oh, well. That's true. Stormy. Well. All right. So I have another question for all of us, I guess. Um, um, what's the scariest thing that's ever that you've ever experienced at night either of you yeah i've got one for this yeah funny enough it wasn't it wasn't alone which is usually when i when mm-hmm. when things are the scariest you sure. know your senses Agreed. are heightened and 
essentially, I thought that I was going to be fighting a bear for sure. <laughs> Black bear. Yep. Not a grizzly. Oh. Just to be clear, we're in PA. That's right. We're, yeah. in, we're in Pennsylvania. Right. With a long sword. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the waiting right. staff would have come into play. Yeah. Sure. Oh, sure. Whatever you got. Yeah. Fight them. Well, yeah. you, Dom, you, Dom and Trevor, you were both here for this. Trevor, you were a ways upstream from us. Yeah. Dom, mm. you were downstream oh, from yeah, you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so I'm I'm fishing. It's it's a dark night. I I am backcasting, and I I just hear something behind me. Yep. I look back, and there's just this, this kind of just black mound moving down through the water. Not necessarily, kind of straight towards me, really. And not really going perfectly with the, the current. Yep. And so it couldn't have been a limb or something like that <laughs> because there was some momentum to it. Isn't that funny? Not how much, your brain but some. deduces that in a oh, split yeah. second. Yeah, and it was this low is to the water. Yeah. It was large. It was wide. You know, I'm like, I'm, and it's coming right towards me. Mm. I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm, this, is a, this is a bear. It's yeah. a bear. <laughs> no doubt. And then about 10 feet from me, real close, I hear, hey, guy. <laughs> no joke. That's how he said it. What he time of the night is it? What time of the night? This was probably around midnight. Right, right. It's pretty late this for somebody yeah, pretty, to be on. Pretty late. Yeah. At that point, I turn on my red light and it's this like gnarly looking guy, big beard, shirtless on a black inner tube, yeah. just laying there. <laughs> and he goes, how far to the next town? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> By himself. By himself, middle yeah. of the night, somewhat cold night, cold yeah. water. That was something. Yeah, he floated on down past me then. I heard voices up there and I'm like, you know, yeah. we don't usually talk to each other a whole lot on a stream. And if we do, it'd be more in a yelling voice. And I just heard, anyway, I heard conversational stuff up there. And then anyway, the guy ended up passing me, but I was alerted to it. So it wasn't very spooky. Um, coincidentally, the scariest thing that ever happened to me happened in the, in the very same spot. So mm-hmm. where, where we're talking about, we park up by the road and I'd fished. And honestly, like I heard coyotes that night. It was really dark. The train went by and I was, it was just scary. It was just kind of a, just kind of a spooky night. And I was by myself and, oh, I don't know, about one o'clock and the fishing was okay, but nothing special. One o'clock, I'm like, all right, I'm walking out of here, especially when those coyotes, not that the coyotes are going to attack you or anything, but anyway, I was ready to get out of there. Yeah. Unnerving is right. I walked up and right in front of where I parked, so now facing my truck. Um, I'm going to say 10 feet away, somebody was parked and I could see. And so what else am I going to do? I'm like, well, I'm going to get in my car and just drive away real quickly. And I did that. I didn't take my waders off or anything. I just popped the hatch, of the forerunner, put the rod in and hurry it up with my waders and vest on. And I just drove away. But when I turned my headlights on, I saw, again, this is the, the vehicles facing me. Somebody's just, I saw in the windshield, somebody's just staring right at me. And then oh, there's some in the, from the geez. driver's seat and they're just staring at me. It was a guy with a ball cap, just staring at me. And somebody in the driver's seat was kind of slumped back, looked like another guy. I don't know what was going on. Uh, you could fill in the blanks with a whole bunch of things about maybe what was going on, but there's, there's no good explanation. Just no, no. And it That's was, I'm going to say, you know, one o'clock in the morning and it was scary. It was really it's really strange. That's the only thing really to be afraid of out there is people. People. Yeah. people. Yep. Absolutely. People. Yep. What do you have, the people Trevor? who are out there at that point are usually not fishermen. Yeah, exactly. No, right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I think most of my scariest times have been animals. Right. Um, a heron gave me the biggest scare I think I've ever had. And it was yeah, when I was walking in. And yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't know enough about herons to know if they're very nocturnal in terms of their hunting, but I was walking in one night at uh, 10 o'clock, 930 yeah. in the summertime. So it was just, just dark and wa- thinking a heron standing on the bank was like a tree was walking like right mm. up towards it and didn't have my light on and it didn't see me until I was pretty close, which is also odd because herons are so, you know, mm-hmm. wary and yeah. so but it spread its wings and made that like pterodactyl yes. like noise that only herons can make. They have a strange scream. Yeah. And I swallowed yeah. my heart like three mm-hmm. times. It was the most terrifying thing I've ever experienced out there. Yeah. Those herons are really like, I don't know, hold their ground. I think maybe oh they do goodness. know you're coming, but it, yeah. you know, during the day they're, they're going like a hundred yards up, you know, yep. around here, yep. these ones anyway. But 
at night that I, I've had the same thing happen. They'll hold their ground. Yeah. Secondarily, the se- maybe, uh, I mean, something that's happened to me a lot, five, six, seven times, a deer just jumps right in mm. the water, right behind yep. me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, guys will talk about beaver a lot, but I guess we don't have them around here that much or the other areas that I fish. I can't say I've ever run into a beaver or had it run into me. Uh, but deer just all of a sudden just jump into the water <laughs> from behind. <laughs> and I hurried up. I always hurry up and flick on my lamp when that happens. Yeah. And I look in their direction and they look like, oh, what, what, yeah. what? And then they take off. But it's kind of scary. That night you and I fished in the rainstorm. Did you hear the the limb fall into the water? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty. That was loud. heavy rain. Yeah. And, yeah. Big and wind. Had that been close to you, anybody? That could have mm-hmm. been pretty damaging. Oh, for sure. That was a large, large piece of wood. But I mean, this too is true. That there's really nothing to be scared of out there. Yeah, that's I, true. I, I mean, what happens out there? Nothing. Nothing really. No. Nope. I mean, you know, I think much less is going on uh, at, at night than during the day. And mm-hmm. I think for a long time, just inherently, I was scared of the dark and scared of what might be. And after enough seasons, really seasons on the water, I eventually went, I just kind of relaxed and I went, nothing happens out here. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. me and the river and a couple fish. <laughs> And then eventually a bearded guy <laughs> yeah, in a black inner tube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been night fishing as long yeah. as you have. And yeah. that, that makes me think that things happen more often than, than they I do. I think probably. what's interesting, growing up a hunter, there's something like I've walked into the woods so many times early yeah. in the morning. And yet there's something about walking in at like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. knowing that morning's coming that's different and less spooky than walking in at like, 10 or 11 and knowing really? it's just like dark. Yeah. Something, I don't know if Josh would agree, but there's something different. What is the difference, Josh? You're going into an escape as well. You're going to, mm-hmm. you're going to climb a tree. You're going to be up real high. You're going to be armed mm. in the yeah, morning. It's true. It's, it's different. That's true. You so, always do have a weapon. So that's, that's nice. Yeah. I find that fascinating. You guys both hunt and mm-hmm. I only, I only squirrel hunt. And we'll talk about, we'll talk about that some other time, but you guys having that, uh, hunting experience and yeah, walking through the woods in the dark and just so yeah. many other things. I, I don't know. I think, honestly, I think that's why it, it, maybe, maybe that's why you guys have gotten into night fishing where others don't, Yeah, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I think there's something to that. Certainly the mentality behind it, it feels more like hunting than any other fishing. Mm, there that's you go. True. That's, that's yeah, true. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. All right, so let's take a quick break. Um, then we'll come right back and jump into all this mousy merger stuff. Fulling Mill is the world's leading producer of flies, fly boxes, hooks, beads, and tippet. Known for their barbless hooks, they have many of your favorite trout patterns tied barbless. Not only that, they feature patterns from anglers like George Daniel, Pat Weiss, Josh Miller, Joe Goodspeed, and many others from around the world. Every pattern is backed by the 200% fooling mill guarantee. If a fly isn't up to the highest standards that you expect, they will replace it with two that are. Stock up at foolingmill.com or ask for their flies at your local dealer. Okay, so what is a mousy merger? Um, it was a joke at first. Just a quick sentence that I spoke in conversation to describe a surface pattern that I'd been working on and fishing that had its head up and its body underneath. I mean, that's what a dry fly emerger is, right? A surface fly with part of the body under the water, usually. And it works because it looks helpless, because it looks crippled or available to the trout. So I'd been frustrated by refusals to mouse flies over and over, and I was trying to make the fly easier to eat. For the trout, something more convincing, uh, more tantalizing, because there was too much failure, uh, either disinterest or rejection from the trout over and over. And having part of the fly's body under the water, under the surface, uh, just made it harder for the trout to say no. Yeah, it, it, that is a that is a really interesting concept because you notice when you fish things on top, you even run into things like the fish miss your fly more often. It's almost like that mm. when you incorporate the surface, yeah, something changes in mm. the commitment or the accuracy or the 
willingness or something. And so having something beneath the surface makes a huge difference. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I agree with you. So, so why don't they, I, I like what you said, commitment there. Um, why don't they eat with that kind of commitment on top? I mean, cause we all fish flies a little lower in the water column. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but what do you think it is on top that makes them not want to commit? I wonder, I wonder if it has anything to do with nighttime is a, is a time where they're, they're feeding in more vulnerable areas of mm-hmm. water. This might not be the case at all, but I'm curious to know if, if it has anything to do with they're giving up that, the, the seclusion of, of being subsurface yeah. and making, and, you know, yeah. making themselves more vulnerable by letting anything out there know where they're at by hitting something on top. Mm-hmm. Coming all the way sure. to the top. Yep. I've always thought, too, how unnatural it would be for such a large prey item to be totally on the surface of the water. You know, you think of the mass of a larger prey item. And uh, if a mouse is swimming on top, if there's a toad on top of the water, while it's certainly creating a surface disturbance, there's got to be part of that animal under the water. And part of me thinks when they come up and grab it like they do, especially because of the repeat way in which they will hit a surface fly sometimes, I think they're trying to drown it, you know, and I think, or Mm. or like a cat will kind of hit something and then like hit it again and sort of toy with it almost. I think some of these big brown trout are just like, they're, they're partially trying to kill it, partially Mm. trying to drown it. Love that. There's something to that. Yeah. Trevor, you said something there that, that, that's interesting. Something about how it's almost a little bit unnatural for something to be entirely on the surface, like all the way on the surface. Yeah. Right, right, right. So maybe even, even a mouse that we're imitating when we fish Mm -hmm. a mouse fly wouldn't really be like that. But the other thing is when you fish entirely on the top, when it's on the surface, on the surface, Mm -hmm. then you're limiting it to really one species that that could be one prey that that could be. If you're just beneath the surface, that opens it up to a whole lot of other prey that those fish are feeding on. Yeah. Even just a little bit beneath the surface, like yeah. partially on top, partially underneath, right at that, that level where there could be a bait fish, where yeah. there could be a yeah. fly, where there could right. be a crawfish, any, anything like that. And so it's almost like you're, you're, you're kind of limiting yourself by going entirely on top where you don't necessarily need to. Yeah, Trevor, Trevor, you said too how they'll come back over and over, mm-hmm. and maybe the idea is that is they're trying to kill it. Yeah, and I love that. Both those points, I think, are kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Um, more, I I don't have that happen to me in the daylight. I mean, I fish yeah. a lot of streamers, mm-hmm. I fish a lot of nymphs, but it's, especially let's say streamers, which are a similar size to the mouse, right? Most mice that we're fishing, um, most mouse flies. Anyway, the, I don't have them hit my streamer and then next cast hit it again. Yeah. I have had a trout, no joke, hit it eight, 10 times. Yeah. I'm assuming yeah. it's the same trout. I guess yeah. I can't see it, but I'm assuming it's the same trout. It, it seems like the same trout and it's seeing these, I'm putting the exact same cast in there and bang, he hits it again. And I, I let it swing out. I'm, I'm hoping he eats it, but he doesn't. And then I put it back in and bang, he hits it. I'm going, are you kidding me? That's like six, seven, eight times. <laughs> um, and yeah. so I, yeah, being on the surface, like why won't they commit to it? I don't know, but I, I do think it's the exposure thing, is what you were saying, Josh. Um, they're, they, but just like in the daylight, I, it takes a. I think it takes a lot more to get a trout to commit to actually eating your fly up top mm-hmm. on a dry, in many cases, than than it, than it does to eat a nymph. Yeah, they expose. Yep. Ex, they have to expose themselves. Yeah, be vulnerable. I often wonder and wonder, I'm curious what you guys think, like part uh, in also thinking about what prey items could be on the top of the water at nighttime. Part of my surprise and how often they'll come back is like, sometimes you feel the weight of that fish when they hit, you know, and it's like, they're, they're definitely, you got to think they're feeling the hook a little, or they're feeling like the hard parts of that fly. Why do you think that doesn't scare them off? Well, I think sometimes it does scare them off, but I yeah. do think there's enough soft in our flies. It's not a Rapala, mm-hmm. um, but there's enough soft in our flies that maybe doesn't turn them off enough, right? Yeah. But I like what you said there. Like, yeah, I hear it. Uh, often I, I, 
I feel that thud, boom, boom, yeah. boom. Oh, and yeah. then it's mm-hmm. off, you know? And then yet he comes back again. Right. Um, again, I think they're trying to kill it. Do you guys think that they're taking our flies for mice? I think rarely. I yeah. agree. Yeah. Around here. That's, around that's here. my guess. Because how often do you see that kind of thing? Right. And we're, we're turning our lights on to look at that shallow water that we're, that we're fishing. That's once a in a while. another time. But yeah. every once in a while. Yeah. We've seen and what, what probably, you see is yeah. frogs and crawfish and bait fish. Yes. Right. Right. So and much yeah. more often than mice. I don't, yeah. right. I, maybe, I, I mean, I've seen a few mice scurrying around on the, on a stream side. Now it's interesting. I mentioned Matt Sapinski's book earlier and then he was, he had a podcast and Trevor, you and I were listening to it mm-hmm. on the way back from night yeah. fishing. It was cool. Yeah. And he was interviewing Tommy Lynch and Lynch was saying about how, oh, that they do have a ton of mice out there. He, this stuck with me. He said, if you, if you sat on a bank for five minutes, you'd have a, you'd have a mouse crawl over your legs. Yeah. <laughs> and that isn't yes. the case. So that could here. be regional. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But here it's not the yeah. case. So up there they might be eating them for mice. Yeah. I don't think that they're eating our, you know, mouse flies, as we say. I don't think they're eating, eating them for mice very often. I agree. And I think that's where our development of patterns for this region, I think, has really mm. been kind of cool. Because mm-hmm. I think that we're doing a better job of mimicking the type of prey that fish see here. Like Josh, you said earlier, you know, you drop that back end of that fly underwater and all of a sudden there's a lot more things that that could be. And when we're casting up into the shallow water near the bank, I mean, in shallow, we've, we've spotlighted so many big, I mean, we're talking four or five inch crayfish yeah. in the shallows. Yeah. Seriously. You know? Right. Yeah. And so that even if it's a more surface driven fly in four inches of water, that crayfish when it swims is going to be near the surface. Yeah. I should, maybe we should have mentioned earlier. Anyway, to me, a surface fly, the, the attraction of a surface fly is that it, it creates a wake Mm -hmm. that is just undeniable. I mean, okay, you can put that same surface fly and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but under the water, you can put that same fly under the water. And it's obviously going to create a wake, a disturbance. The trout can feel it with their lateral line. All that's great. But you put it on top and something different happens. And yeah. there is a, it is so distinct. And I think those trout are looking for, well, some trout are looking for that. But I mean, will they commit to, to it? Uh, um, my favorite mouse fly, like actual mouse fly, is Mr. Hanky, right? I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody's, I know you guys have fished it, but Hopefully others out there have fished that too. Mr. Hanky's my favorite mouse fly. It has a nice stinger hook on the back. And it, you know, um, it kind of, well, it has foam on the back and then a lot, and it's, there's rabbit fur. And yeah, I get it that, that a lot of that fly is kind of into the water, but not like we're talking about with this mousy merger concept. And so Mr. Yeah. Hanky really does ride high uh, compared to this mouse emerger concept. Um, and so my, my hookup ratio on mm-hmm. Mr. Hankey is nothing like yeah. it, it, nothing compared to the hookup ratio that I get with these mousy merger flies. Absolutely. Yeah. I think our first night's night fishing together, we were using flies similar to that. And I yeah. remember us talking about like, you know, we did the statistics and this is something that you talk about Dom with yeah. like your, how many hits, how many missed fish, how many hookups. And we were like 15 hits to one hookup, you know, and two lost fish or something, you know, it was like you, I think Mr. Hankey is a good example of maximizing hits and and almost minimizing hookups. Yeah. And then Mr. Hankey sits lower in the water. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny to say Mr. Hankey does, but (laughs) that's the name of the battle. Seriously. Yeah. 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 Exactly. We're talking about it seriously. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it does. It sits lower in the water than most mass, mouse patterns. Let's mm-hmm. say, you know, that when most people, when a lot of people think of a mouse pattern, they're thinking of that like deer hair mouse that, I mean, that mm-hmm. deer hair mouse is boom, right on the top, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but even that, the Mr. Hanky fly, I don't know is, well, like you said, you can get 15 hits and one hookup. Yeah. And anyway, with this mouse emerger concept, it really, for me, did change things. It mm-hmm. did. It did. Let's let so let's we're talking about some flies, all right? Um, you know, let's kind of move into that. The first fly I fished like this, um, I called a bad mother. And it's not really much of a mouse. It's not. I don't think you could say it's a mouse fly. 
Yeah. Fair enough. If if they take it for a mouse, great. Um, it's an ad. It's an adaptation of a pattern that Rich Strollis was kind enough to share with me. Um, just a full deer hair head with marabou palmered on the hook shank behind the head. That's it. Two materials. And I added a stinger hook, and I put some foam behind the collar to keep it floating, because that's what I wanted to do with the fly. I had other sculpins that would go lower in the column and stuff, but I wanted this to float more. More so, I so I put that foam foam tab behind the collar, and so the head of the bad mother wakes across the surface, um, just barely mm-hmm. staying afloat. I mean, just barely, but it's waking. It's creating that wake on the surface. And then you have all that marabou just undulating and pulsing underneath, looking like, I don't know, legs, fins, tails, fur. I don't know. It's very nondescript. All the above. Yeah. But anyway, thoughts on the the bad mother, guys? I love it. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think that sent us off in the right direction, I think, when it came to sort of developing our own pattern. I'll let Josh talk a little more about that. Um, But I think the deer hair head is a big part of it, you know, in terms of the turbulence that creates as you pull it through the water. It does seem to matter, yeah. Yeah, locating a fly at nighttime being so important, I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, the bad mother. Funny enough, that's that's the fly I was fishing. It was the first night. You had tied it, Dom, and you, you were like, hey, try this tonight. You know, mm-hmm. see if see if this works. I tried it, and uh, good night. But the, what really won me over to that fly was catching uh, Horton that night. Uh, no kidding. Yeah. yeah. There's that another was, namer. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, Horton. Hey, hey, Trevor, why do you think you haven't caught any <laughs> namers? <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear. I'm starting to get just, complex about I, this. No, okay. I just want to yeah. say I've only ever caught one namer at night. Yeah, and so what Josh has has done recently is pretty impressive. Keeps me hungry. Yeah. Anyway, you were saying, buddy. Well, it was the you know it was the first non mouse fly that I could that I found that I could manipulate what it what it did in the water nearly on top of the water. So it felt yeah. like I was fishing in a mouse fly. You could do the same retrieves that you could mm-hmm. do with a mouse fly, mm-hmm. but you get that that stinger underwater. Right. I, for me, I was getting a lot of short strikes, so I figured, hey, why not throw the stinger on there? And I did it yeah. in a bit of a different way, but um, I like that. Um, so let me talk about Lynch's white-bellied mouse, which mm-hmm. which is another, yeah. I think it's, a, I'm going to call it a mousy merger. Yeah. Uh, um, there are a lot of cool things going on in that pattern by Tommy Lynch. But what impressed me when I saw it, first of all, um, and what got me excited as soon as I saw it, it was the articulated back end, just hanging down mm-hmm. in the water like that. Um, it made perfect sense. And it was kind of a palm to the forehead moment, you know. It's an articulated streamer, really, with the front hook featuring a good chunk of foam to keep that piece uh, on the surface. And the foam sort of gurgler lip pushes mm-hmm. and wakes water on the top. And the rubber legs and rabbit fur just breathe and wiggle in even the slowest currents that will fish it in. But then that back end, it hangs down in the water, you know, so it's a mouse emerger. I think yeah. it's fantastic. And I had, yeah. as soon as I started using that fly, I had a lot of success. And for me, that was the bridge. The bad mother was almost a little small for the way mm. I was tying it for yeah. uh, some of the trout, some of the biggest trout. Um, and then Lynch's white belly mouse is bigger yeah. and <laughs> it was bringing bigger fish. And then, I, okay, so I know you guys really started going from that into what you call the pen dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that those first nights out, and I think it was really, it really was having had early success with the bad mother and that deer hair head concept, and yet yeah. sort of wanting to create an articulated version of that fly mm-hmm. and incorporate some of whether the colors we were reading about, you know, in Bashline's book that he seemed to re- think made a difference, or, mm-hmm. um, some of the materials that we were sort of interested in getting Arctic fox fur into the fly. And we just were, we were constantly talking back and forth about what impact these materials and colors and style of the fly could have. 
Yeah. And so it was sort of, yeah, it was like the dream team fly where we kind of <laughs> tried to combine every, right. everything we thought that could be successful into one fly mm-hmm. and, and came out with something that to this day we use, you know, 80% of the time probably yeah. um, as our go-to. Yeah. Well, and we were frustrated. Yeah. After the That's first night few times. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Right. But, but you know, sometimes the frustration in night fishing comes from just being clueless. You're in the dark, you know, yeah. you're not seeing yeah. anything, you're not hearing anything, you're not feeling anything. Right. But we yeah. were, we were having fish, you know, go for the flies yeah. and that's exhilarating, but it's yes. a whole lot more fun to actually hook them. Right. Yeah. Cause like Trevor yeah. said, we were catching them. Yeah. You know, it was, it was probably about 15 to one in terms of hookups to actual, or in terms of strikes to actual hookups. Yeah. And so. Yeah. It was annoying. We were talking a lot about how do we fix this? How do we actually get them to to take it? And then and then we experienced the the bad mother. Yeah. And that that made a difference. And then we started fishing the robe, which we'll talk probably talk about a little bit more yeah, later. Right. But we were like, man, we we've got to find a way to kind of combine these things into a fly that accomplishes what we want to it to yeah. accomplish, which is to fish like a topwater fly, to have the control over the the wake that it creates like a top mm-hmm. butterfly but have the ability to hook up like we're hooking up with things like the the rogue you know right hey with so like subsurface stuff so we all know what the pen dragon looks like but we'll we'll one of you guys describe i don't know from tail to head real quick what the pen dragon is but someday we'll have to do a video on it and a, and a trout pitting article but right now can somebody just go from the tail to the head you go ahead josh okay <laughs> make the josh ta- do it yeah the tail's a, it's a size four tail, size two front hook. I know Trevor, sometimes you tie it a little bit differently, but mm-hmm. generally the, the yeah. base pattern is Arctic Fox tail. Yeah. And then you've got a red underbody. Yeah. And then it's one of those like predator fiber kind of, kind of, uh, brushes mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. wrap up to that. And then you tie it into orange bead between the two. Mm-hmm. And then again, arctic fox to to fill that gap that's really we we tied that in just so that as that when it comes back on that back cast it sheds water and that way it keeps fishing the way that we want it to fish and it doesn't get too waterlogged yeah and And then the same thing yeah yeah same thing red underbody more of that that black sometimes there's a little bit blue in there that brush and then a a pretty dense and bulky deer hair head yeah and that's a that's a big deal because that keeps that head yeah we really jam yeah jam in yeah but the back of the fly is yeah yeah exactly but the back of the fly is heavy enough that it's just kind of keeping its nose up Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. not it's not really riding riding on top right the whole fly is keeping its nose up up. yeah 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 and that back end just like the lynch's white belly mouse um yeah you have the front end up and the back end underneath here's your mousey merger right is it a mouse no probably not but it's something that's creating a wake and it's something that's also available to the trout underneath this uh, mouse emerger concept. I love it. Hey, one, seriously, once again, like the oh, I don't, I, I don't need other night flies, right? I mean, I, I feel like I remember you guys said, oh, I, we have this pen dragon. I'm like, that's neat. Like you're catching great fish on that. And then you were each of you were kind of, kind enough to you know give me one or two, and I was like, mm-hmm. all right, I'll fish it. I'm serious. It didn't take long. Yeah. And I was catching fish on it and it's become one of my favorite, favorite night flies. And yeah. I'm excited to fish it more and, you know, put my own little spin on it. Like I, I feel like I mm-hmm. want rubber legs in there, but who cares? Yeah. It, yeah. You know, Trevor does. Trevor do. uses those. Yeah. I yeah. usually tie those in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. It's hard to beat rubber legs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Hey, Hey, how do we fish these mouse emergers? I think we've defined what the mouse emerger concept is. And even though it's, not necessarily a mouse, but how are we fishing them? Um, I think that's my, a good, yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah, please. No, I mean, I think as you're, as you're asking that question, what's funny is I'm thinking, you know, we started out designing a fly that we thought would do the best in terms of all that the trout was looking for. And yet in the end, I think what we did was more create a fly that was so well suited to the types of ways we wanted to fish it, you know, yeah. and, and that might've been more important than even what we ended up with in the Pendragon was just a fly that does the types of things that we want to do retrieve style wise when we fish it at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay. I, I think the most basic 
uh, you know, retrieve that we're doing is a cast to the bank. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're trying to wait as close to that bank as we can, typically somewhere midstream, um, and get our flies as close to the bank as we can. Super close. Super close. Yep. And if, in fact, so close that if you're pulling it off rocks to start your retrieve, that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. That's yeah. what you want. Mm-hmm. And typically, we just let the current kind of pull it off the bank. And you, yeah. you write about the slow slide, and that's... Right the description of what we're trying to do. Right. And I tend to, I differ from Josh a little bit. I usually will pulse it a couple times off the bank. You know, it's yeah. my first move off the bank. Once I start animating it is usually just either two short strips or two just kind of, um, twitches of the rod tip. I, sure. I, I, I kind of like that start, but from there, as we let it swing out, Typically, we are doing kind of a lift and wiggle. Yeah, and that probably I'll let maybe one of you guys talk about that a little bit because that deserves probably a little more explanation. But that that typically describes the way that we're fishing it. Mine's pretty similar. I mean, honestly, though, I mean, I'll fish it any way you can think of. I mean, I really do. I, I'll drift, uh, swing, strip, wiggle, yeah. twitch these flies. At yeah. all angles and all speeds. Um, but that's when the main thing isn't working, right? Yeah. And so um, I have my favorite way, and it's real similar to what you described, Trevor. Mm-hmm. I like to hit the bank, maybe straight across or slightly up and across. Yeah. It just, I mean, you got to yeah. be super close to the bank. And then I just like to let it slide off the bank, and sometimes I twitch it, but I try not to move it too far off the bank because I believe in my experience that that's where most of the night feeding best trout are is very close to the bank picking on those bait fish that have, <laughs> have like no defense at night. Right. So that's what so we try to do is slow slide it off the bank. Go ahead. When you cast it to the bank, can you describe where you try to lay your fly line down? Is it in a straight line with that fly? Or are you trying to lay it down on one side or the other? Oh, that's a cool question. Um, that, that depends on current speed. Right. Mm. And so if I have a slow current speed, I'm probably going to try to throw a little bit of a curve or a loop, not a loop, but a curve, an Mm. arc downstream so that that fly will start to move off. And if I have a faster current, I'll do the opposite and I'll throw a tiny bit of slack upstream or an arc upstream of that fly. That makes sense, right? I'm sure you do the same thing. Absolutely. Yep. Right. And that's the. That's technical stuff. That's cool. I mean, I love that stuff. I wonder, is there any difference? Is there any difference for you guys between when you're fishing something that's more topwater and more, more subsurface? Is there any difference in how you orient the head during the drift? Hmm. Uh, Cause with a, yeah. with a, well, with a topwater fly, I'm a little bit more, I think, mm-hmm. willing to, to not point the head downstream as much. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And Whereas we're saying sub- head downstream just to be, I'm yeah, with you. The right? head of I'm the with fly. you. I yep. want to make sure everybody understands. We're saying the head of the fly pointed downstream. Yep. Yeah. Slightly, yeah. not necessarily, right. not straight downstream. Right. But. When I do surface patterns, I like the head of the fly pointed more upstream, not, yeah. not directly, but that's mo- what most, I was wondering yeah. because that's what I've, that's what I've, I've noticed that I like as well. Not, right. not always upstream, but at least towards me. Right. Know? As I said, I'll try every direction, everything, but my baseline approach, if you gave me a hundred bucks to catch one tonight, I'd probably spend most of my time casting across, but maybe even crossing slightly down so that I can use that best part, in my opinion, best part of the drift, which is where the head of the fly is faced across, but slightly up. And then eventually as it swings out and off the bank, it's pointing to me and to my rod tip. Yeah. And now it's, you know, it's, it's pointing pretty far upstream the head again yeah and that's again like josh is asking i'm saying for a surface fly that's what i like best yeah i think there's something there's definitely something to that that's triggering and i think that when you combine it with that wiggle and what we're talking about is you kind of raise the rod tip we should mention that yeah yeah raise the rod tip and you're kind of lifting the fly line off the water until just the leader maybe even a foot or foot of the leader even might be you know connected to the fly on the mm-hmm. water 
but you're even lifting some of the leader and you're kind of shaking the rod back and forth and you can do this kind of, yeah, the wiggle, you can do it at a slow rate. You can do it fast. And it's pretty cool if you can watch the fly and what it's doing, especially these flies we're talking about, it it creates this sort of like pattern of wake that is vibratory almost. Mm. And, and there is something about that, that like, if you see your fly moving through the water, when you're doing that in your mind, you'd think you'd be jerking that fly back and forth. But in reality, it really does give the impression of a swimming object. Mm. And that's pretty cool. Well, you just described, Trevor, and I call it the hang and the wiggle. But as you said, there's not much line on the water. When you pick it up, pick yep. up your line. And again, we're only casting 30 feet. I'm going to just round it off, 30 feet. So we're casting 30 feet to the bank, and we're doing this, letting it slow slide off the bank. And now you kind of get to that 45 degree down and across. I think you're with me, guys. The down and across yep. the angle. And and now now we might pick up that rod, and then that brings the fly a little closer to us, and it brings mm, all the fly line and some of the leader mm-hmm. off of the water. <clears throat> so like like Trevor said, we might only have one or two feet of leader even on the water. Anyway, now we wiggle it and just shake, 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 shake. Just wiggle, 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 wiggle. And w- what Trevor described is perfect. I mean, just 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 does this kind of swim, swim back and forth. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's the kind of action that you need to see it during the daylight. And so, I mean, believe it or not, I did a lot of night fishing tactics during the day. I just spend the whole day doing night fishing tactics. To be honest, I caught very few fish, but that was, that wasn't (laughs) the point. I wanted to see, you know, I really, I wanted to see what the bad mother and what the Lynch's white belly mouse I haven't done it with your pen dragon yet, but I, I want to do, I want to do that during the daylight. I want to see what the pen dragon looks like during the daylight. Yeah. Almost yeah. all of these tactics I've done during the day. So you can see them. And what Trevor described is exactly right. It's not overdone no. at all. It's just this hang and wiggle, as I call mm-hmm. it. And I've written an article about it on Trout Pit and you go, you can go find that. Hang and wiggle, 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 and then let it settle. And mm-hmm. honestly, Right after you let it settle, within yep. two, yep. three, four, maybe we're five all shaking seconds. our heads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're all nodding yeah. our heads. Yeah, it's yeah. like yeah, it gets it's exciting. like get them interested and that's then feed it to them. Get them yeah. interested, then feed it to them. Feed it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's one of my favorite things to to experiment with when I'm out there, and it's because you can you can kind of calculate and change what you're doing. And so, I, Dom, you and I have talked about this, but with the hang and wiggle. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty methodical about actually counting out how long I'm going to hang, oh, yeah. how long I'm going to wiggle. Yeah. And that's because if it's not working the way that you feel like it should be working, because it is, it's a good way to fish at night. It is. And there's a lot of it's confidence in that. So when it's yeah. not working, I'm like, ah, maybe it'll work if I just reverse it. I'm going to, I'm going to wiggle way less. I'm going to let it hang longer. Wow. I like that. You know, mm-hmm. and, and just experiment. I'm going to, I'm going to wiggle it for a while. I'm going to keep it swimming like for eight seconds and then I'm going to let it Oof. settle for like two, you know, I like that. And you can, you can experiment and you can figure out maybe, maybe it's not the the method that's wrong, but it's the timing. Oh, uh, that's so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be honest. My patience is not good enough at night. You're talking about waiting for eight seconds to do the next motion. That's hard for me. Mm. <laughs> and I need to, you know, I need to be, I need to be more disciplined with that. It's, I'm always wanting to do the next motion. I'm always wanting to do the next strip or twitch or swing it out a little faster. And I obviously, I mean, that patience, and, and you're not the only one to say it, Josh, but that 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 patience can be, well, the difference between, you know, catching an aimer and not, or, or catching Stop up. Stop talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I, I, I do. I think you got to let them find it. You got to let them find yeah. it. And yeah. that wiggle is powerful, right? wiggle 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 and then hang and josh is saying let it hang longer i think it's good yeah i wonder if we don't you know and these are factors that are hard to know always but i wonder if some amount of that dialing in has to do with the turbidity of the water the speed of the water that night the the depth of the water because you just said you got to let them find it and i think that's an important concept at night to remember while these fish do an incredible job of seeing and locating and finding that fly, which I, I still find fascinating yes, that they do such a good In job, the dark, it, right. their pinpoint yeah. accuracy is not there. And we've mm. all seen fish blow up on a spot 
three or four inches or five inches beside our fly, right? Wow. Because they're not quite on. And so maybe there, you know, I, I'm always thinking like, what is it about that? And maybe there is something to on those nights where there's a little more turbidity or less clarity of the water. Maybe they have a little harder time finding it. And maybe that those nights when you animate less, you're giving them a better chance of success. Ooh, that's good. I like that yeah. a lot. Yeah. Mm. That's, those are good thoughts. Now we just got to go out there and prove it. I know. I want to go <laughs> night right. fishing now. I know. Hey, this is what, is it a Thursday? No, it's a Friday. But, know. you know, a lot of times we fish together on Thursdays, but uh. we have some really high water conditions. And I mean, high water's okay, but muddy and high, we elected yeah. to do a podcast do instead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on, I actually called on Josh. Yeah, yeah. I called Josh after work yesterday and just said like, hey, man. It was honestly really hard to get through the day, and uh, <laughs> I didn't realize it why until I left work, and we just, you know, we didn't have any night fishing plans, so it was it was tough. Yeah, it's tough to break that. Well, like I said, you're the only night fishing buddies I've ever had, and yeah. that's that's cool. It's it. What I love is what we're doing right now. You know, it's just bouncing these ideas. What you were just saying is really cool. It's it's a lot for me to think about. Mm-hmm. And what Josh was saying about the uh, different things about the pen dragon, I love it. You know, you're, you're just thinking about the time, just, just doesn't have to be the pen dragon, but the sure. hanging a wiggle and letting it hang more. Yeah. And so yeah. I guarantee, I guarantee next time I'm out there, yeah. I'm going to count. I'm yeah. going to go wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. And I'm going to count to eight seconds because Josh yeah. told me to. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Seriously. <laughs> then I'll catch the next namer. Uh, that's I love awesome. it. Yeah. All right. Hey, let's move on. I got to keep it rolling. Let's keep it rolling. You can um, call him old Ben for the who's clock. Who's that? You'll call your next neighbor. The next neighbor. Yeah. Old Ben, yeah, because right. you're letting it just tick. Talk, uh, tick talk. I love it. We'll call that's him good. I like that. I, uh, that's good. That's I'm a right. professional night namer. That's my role. If I can't yeah, catch namers. That's you right. name other people's night namers. <laughs> I like it. All right. So, Hey, are there other styles of emergers? Right. Let's talk about that. Hmm. Um, sure. There are, in my opinion. In the daylight, uh, I use something like a clink hammer as a floating emerger. We all do. Then I use unweighted soft tackles to fish the surface film or just inches underneath with an unweighted soft tackle or similar. Maybe two, it's uh, dropped behind a dry fly or even fished on a greased line, right? That soft tackle. And finally, I fish flies like the old school Gary LaFontaine deep sparkle pupa as an emerger that's under the water a little further, uh, but not necessarily too far. I like to ride them about a foot underneath, during a caddis hatch, maybe. You can ride them deeper, of course, but the point is that an emerger, in this case, is at the top or very close to it, not too far from the top, right? An emerger. So I've mentioned this a lot in the Night Fishing for Trout series on on Trout Pit. And again, you can find that in the menu of trout pit, night fishing for trout series. But the most important thing I've ever learned about night fishing, seriously, this is it. The most important thing I've ever learned. It took about 12 years <laughs> for me to finally understand this. And um, it, was, it was to keep the fly above the trout. It Now, yeah, to me, it absolutely. seems obvious, you know. But I read so many other things that said, hey, get it down there to them. That's where the trout are. And it makes sense because during the daylight often, that's what I'm doing. I'm getting my sculpting down deep. Mm. But at night, I want to keep the fly above the trout. This mouse emerger concept does just that. It also wakes across the surface, but then, well, in, in the flies that we were talking about, it wakes across the surface, and then it gives them something underneath to eat. Um, and I, But I'll say, too, that sometimes taking those flies, um, or the flies to, designed to ride Taking flies that are designed to ride just a bit deeper, mm-hmm. maybe in the first few inches below the surface, not necessarily on the surface, but now just below the surface, that has absolutely changed things for me. Um, just like the bad mother did, I started tying a pattern called the Rogue, which for me was the lightest streamer I'd ever tied. And someday, some other day, I'll go through the, the specifics of it, right? But it is super light. And if I was to put an inches per second on it in water that's not even moving, let's say it falls at maybe two inches per second, 
maybe one, two. It's very, very light. And it sheds water on the back cast, a lot like your Pendragon does, guys. It, yeah. it sheds water on that back cast. It's built for that. Yeah. Um, whatever water it collects, boom, it's gone on the back cast. So it enters and then it's it's just it just easily goes through the surface and and and, and under the surface though, and fishes two, three, four, six, eight inches below by the end of the drift. It's probably not more than eight or 10 inches below the surface. And I feel like I can control that, uh, that depth below the surface. To me, that's kind of an extension of this uh, mouse emerger concept. So again, instead of being in the surface, surface now it's slightly below. And so I know you guys have done a lot with this too, with something you call a gypsy queen. And I know you fished the rogue yeah. and even the pen dragon with split shot. Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think again, we've we've taken some things that you kind of worked on, and the rogue in my case was one of those that uh, the gypsy queen is really just a dressed up and larger size of the rogue. Um, I I put a lot more bulk into it, mm-hmm. into the head in particular, mm-hmm. and then into the body too. I create a pretty thick body on it, but the materials are, you know, when we're talking these flies, the we're talking about the gauge of hook we're using because we're that specific about the type of weight we want the fly to be. Right. And right. then the materials are a big part of that too. You know, the rogue and the, the gypsy queen for me versus the pen dragon, the pen dragon's head floats, right. And the gypsy yeah. queen, the rogue, when I tie the gypsy queen, I am using a minnow brush at the head, but then I'm also using a bruiser blend, like wool blend at the head mm. that does hold a little more water and it gets that head to ride under more consistently. And so I know that when I'm fishing it, it is fishing under the surface because it does hold a little bit more water, but yet the whole fly, when you hold it dry, it's incredibly lightweight. Um, and even wet, you know, it just, it isn't holding yeah. a ton, ton of water, but sheds water, right? Yeah. Right. But, the, but I'm not trying to keep the head afloat on that. But, yeah. I think yeah. these flies we're talking about, the gypsy queen and the rogue mm-hmm. and maybe some others. Um, it, it it's different than, you know, just taking your average streamer and saying, well, I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to throw that at night. Yeah. Most of those want to, want to fall. I mean, they yeah. want to fall, even yeah. if they're unweighted, they don't have lead eyes and blah, 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 yeah. but they want to fall just because of the, like, like you said, Trevor, just because the mm-hmm. weight of the hook, the hook yeah. diameter. And uh, yeah. yeah. So these are, I don't know, sort of specialized flies that we're talking about. Yeah. And sometimes, Sometimes being on top, it's not, you know, or sometimes having something hanging down from on top isn't enough and they mm. still won't go for it. And so take it down a little lower. That's the interesting thing about what we're doing is generally we're working from the top down. There you go. Instead of from the bottom mm-hmm. up. There yeah. you go. Yeah. We're going on the top of the water and then we're seeing, does this work? Because it's real fun when it does. Yes. And then, and then we're working down until we find the fish. That's oh, I love that. Yep. Yep. And you mentioned earlier, Dom, that you love night fishing because it's like the reverse of everything you do in the day. It is. That's a good example of that. That's so true. Yeah. I often, uh, you know, I, in the daytime, I'm kind of a nymph first guy because that's what trout want to eat. And then, you know, uh, even I'm often trying to hit the strike zone with my nymphs. And then I'll find that they're eating my tag fly more often on the, you know, on my nymph rig, which my tag fly, let's say, is 20 inches up. So maybe mm. I start going, oh, maybe I should focus on the mid column. And so, yeah, let's say arguably it's a bottom up approach during the day and the reverse at night, like we're talking about. Do you guys ever fish the pen dragon with split shot? That's a loaded question. I know Josh had a really good night <laughs> doing that. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we all fished together. And yeah, again, the, the, the method was start on top and fish down. And none of us were doing all that well. No. And we were carrying uh, we were carrying radios, so we knew none of us were doing right. all that well, and we were bouncing some ideas off of each other, and like, all right, what's what's working, what's not? Nothing was working, and so uh, I had a somewhat waterlogged pen dragon, but it was still hanging on the top. And I'm like, well, instead of switching to another fly, I'm going to keep pretty much everything the same. I'm just going to put this fly underwater a little bit, and so I didn't put much weight on it, but enough to get it under. What would you say? I mean, like a number one shot or a BB it, shot? No, about a number one is what okay. I had. That's it's not exactly much, what I had, actually. But it's yeah. just enough. Yeah. Yep, it's exactly what I put on it. That's uh, with streamers, that's usually the first mm-hmm. one that I'll put on, yep. number one. And so it was almost the same. In fact, 
even though it wasn't on the top and even though it wasn't causing a wake, I was still able to, uh, felt like I was still able to pull off that, that wiggle. Hmm. And with that larger, you know, pretty good profile deer, deer hair head, I'm sure, like we said earlier, it was pushing a lot of water underneath. Yeah. You know, disturbing that lateral line of anything that was nearby. (laughs) And you clearly were because you, you, you did a lot better than Trevor and I did that night. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny because I got, we got kind of to the end of the night and I caught up with you and I knew that from the radio, from the walkie talkies, I knew that you had been fishing the pen drag. And I was like, man, so almost everything was like on top, huh? And you go, well, I had a split shot on. <laughs> you saw yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that was the start of a two-week stretch where Josh caught fish and I didn't. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, back to the other ways to fish, you know, under the surface too. That final, my the final week we went out that I, that I had some success, I did a, yeah. a style of retrieve that I don't do very often at all, but. I began to, I have a few, I keep some pen dragons around that I've tied less densely. The head is less dense than some of my, Mm. my like first stringers Yep. and my (laughs) second stringers I keep around because they waterlog more quickly and they'll Mm -hmm. fish under the surface. Yep. Um, so just using one of those, um, second stringers and just swinging it without any animation, um, uh, you know, it was, it was just crazy. It it took a lot of restraint to not animate it at all, but I was, I finally, I got into fish again, I love just it. on, just on the swing. And that's yep. what Josh is saying. You know, I think maybe we both need to be more patient like this guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Let <laughs> him do. have it. Let him find it. Right. Let him find it. All right. So, all right, let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up a little bit right here. Uh, the mouse emerger idea kind of has nothing to do with a mouse <laughs> necessarily. It's about taking the benefits of a topwater pattern at night and then making it a little harder for the trout to resist, easier to eat, by having a good portion of the fly actually under the water, sometimes all the way under the water. Then, in some cases, uh, we might take similar patterns and, like I said, get them all the way under the water and, and fish them that way. But we, we keep it in the first, I'm going to say, 3 to 12 inches of the water column, if we're doing that. But always, always, we're fishing the fly above the water with this, again, mousy merger concept. And most of the times, right there in the surface film with only part of the fly underneath. All right. So thank you, Josh and Trevor. Uh, thanks for being part of this conversation, you know? Yeah. I'm sure we'll do much more on this topic together. But I think it's been good to keep this dialogue focused on just one aspect of the night game. Um, we're not trying to cover everything here in one sitting. And there's plenty of time to do more of that in the future, you know. And thanks to everyone out there who's listening. If you're interested in night fishing and want to learn a lot more um, and go beyond mousing and the mouse emerger stuff, there are, are about 40 articles so far over at Trout Pitten. Uh, find them under the category Night Fishing for Trout. It's right there in the menu. As always, if you have ideas, questions you'd like to have answered or topics you'd like to hear us cover, get in touch with us. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. All right, Trevor, read us out. Remember, troutbitten.com is a free resource for all anglers. So dig in and check it out. Navigate through the menus and find what you like. Share it, leave a comment, use the search page if you're looking for something specific. Navigate by way of the categories and tags too. Thank you so much for listening. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. That really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water.